Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Purpose Podcast. My name is Haas Rauscher. The goal of this podcast is to help men find and fulfill their purpose. I'm going to try to help them be good, strong leaders, good, strong men, good male role models in their communities. I'm going to do that by having conversations. I'm going to invite guests on. I'm going to ask our guests, what is your purpose? What do you think your purpose ought to be? How did you find that purpose? And what do you do every single day? How do you get up, get after it, and go and fulfill that purpose? Today is going to be another episode of the Purpose Book Club. We're going to be going over uh, going over meditations for the third time. Um, today we're going to cover chapters five and six, or books. Sorry, they're called books in the in meditations. We're going to cover book five and book six. Uh, six, seven, and eight were really, really dense with some really, really good stuff. So uh, we're not going to skip them. I know we've only got one week left. What we're going to do is you're going to get more content. Uh, we're going to do two book club episodes per week now, uh, at least for meditations. We're probably going to keep it up for Blood Meridian. Um, it's going to be a lot of content, but I hope you all enjoy it. So, uh, basically we're going to go over book five and book six today, uh, book seven, book eight, maybe tomorrow, Friday, something like that. Whenever I decide to record it within the week, um, and then we'll go over 9 and 10 and then 11 and 12. Uh, it should be pretty simple. I think four books at a time uh, in these more books. Uh, book 5 wasn't too incredibly dense with good stuff that I wanted to talk about. But from 6 to 12, it's 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 slam-packed with good, uh, good quotes and good things that I really want to talk about. And something I do want to note is maybe that's not... I'm not saying that the first of the book wasn't as valuable. Now, when I reread it to, to do these episodes and stuff like that, it didn't seem like it was, it, it didn't seem like it had just a whole ton of value. But then again, I'm, I'm reviewing it to, you know, rereading it to review it. So um, I was already looking at the things that I already thought were important. But uh, this is just a good note of maybe going back to the beginning of a book right after you finish the book. And if you're like me and you take notes, maybe taking notes the same way that you took notes the last few chapters. Uh, because once you kind of get the hang of the, of the writer and get an idea of what the book is supposed to be saying and, uh, basically just start to understand the writer for me, what I'm wondering is maybe if I just didn't start really picking up on more things towards the end of the book, so uh, that's just a little bit of a note because, again, I, I sincerely noticed that towards the end of the book, it was it was crazy that I had so much more stuff highlighted. Now, like I said, I don't know if, if you're going to have the same experience, uh, but for me, I did. And that's why these episodes are going to be uh, maybe a little bit longer, but I'm, I'm trying to, instead of making them too terribly long, uh, I'm going to cover just book five and book six today. So uh, for book five, I went ahead and since it was a little bit more sparse, I went with the same structure that we tackled one through four with uh, that being, I want to find one of my favorite quotes for purpose, want to find one of my favorite quotes for discipline, and one of my favorite quotes for good. The idea that uh, things that come to you, you look at them and you say good, and you find some way that it's good. Um, so, because, and the, these are three pretty popular themes throughout the book, is the purpose, the discipline, and what, what I call good. Now, um, you really need to go, and uh, I may go find that on Instagram and share it, but you need to go listen to Jocko's uh, good video. Um, I'll, I'll actually, I'll put a link uh, to it in the description here of Jocko's video about good, so that you know what I'm talking about. 
Um, the, the concept of good is basically that when something bad happens to you, and I know I've explained it a couple of times, but when something bad happens to you, um, not necessarily, not bad, but when something happens to you, uh, that is, we'll say suboptimal, um, that's one of my new favorite phrases is suboptimal, but, uh, when something suboptimal happens to you, you say, you immediately in your brain, in your mind, you say good and you find a reason that that's good. Just an example, not tooting my own horn, whatever. Uh, when I failed phase one the first time on the Live, High, Live Hard program, uh, I said good. I get 30 days more of, uh, of structured progress um, that I have to adhere to in order to get this program done. It's going to be 30 days more worth a grind. Uh, I was three days away from finishing and I definitely would have taken the, uh, the foot off the gas pedal at the end of that 30 days because of, uh, just because that's where my headspace was that I, I wasn't, um, being as disciplined as what I needed to be. And so at the end of that 30 days, I was going to take my foot off the gas and I said, Nope, we're going to restart it. So, uh, well, I didn't say that. I mean, that's that's what you have to do when you fail the program. But I said, good, we get to we get to restart and have 30 days more of progress. That's that's what we're doing in here. And, and like I said, that's a pretty constant theme inside meditations. Yeah, it's a Jocko thing, but uh, uh, Mark Australius, a lot of his quotes kind of hit around that same idea. And I thought it was really cool to find that. So we're going to start in book five uh, with purpose, and it's going to be the very first quote. Um, this is one that gets quoted a lot by a lot of people to show that Marcus was human, just like you and I, and that he had his own problems, just like you and I. Uh, it's, it's quoted a lot, but I think I'm going to take a little bit of a, a different angle on it. So let's get right into it. Starts right here. Number one. At dawn, when you have trouble getting out of bed, tell yourself, I have to go to work as a human being. What do I have to complain of if I'm going to do what I was born for, the things I was brought into this world to do? Or is this what I was created for, to huddle under the blankets and stay warm? But it's nicer here. So you were born to feel nice instead of doing things and experience them? Don't you see the plants, the birds, the ants and spiders and bees going about their individual tasks? putting the world in order the best they can, and you're not willing to do your job as a human being, why aren't you running to do what your nature demands? But we have to sleep sometime. Agreed. But nature set a limit on that, as it did on eating and drinking, and you're over the limit. You've had more than enough of that, but not of working. There you're still below your quota. You don't love yourself enough, or you'd love your nature too, and what it demands of you. People who love what they do wear themselves down doing it, and they even forget to wash or eat. Do you have less respect for your own nature than the engraver does for engraving, the dancer for the dance, the miser for money, or the social climber for status? When they're really possessed by what they do, they'd rather stop eating and sleeping than give up practicing their arts. Is helping others less valuable to you? Not worth your effort? <laughs> That's pretty big, guys. Um, basically... What he's saying here is, get your ass out of bed, you got shit to do. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what he's saying, is is get out of bed, uh, go and fulfill your purpose. Now, I don't want to try to, like, hijack Marcus's words. I don't know if this is going to sound, um, how do, I, how do I put this? I don't want to, like, turn his idea into my idea or bastardize what he's saying. But when I read this, um, to kind of help wrap my wrap wrap my sorry wrap my mind around what I was thinking. Uh, well, number one, I put uh, 
Oh, yeah, I put up here, big oof, get up, fulfill your purpose. Um, That was one of my notes is big oof, because I believe I was struggling to get up early at that time. Uh, And it just felt like a personal attack, which it was. Um, But (laughs) the... uh, I also put there replace nature with purpose because since I, you know, I mean, that's my deal guys is I believe that having a central purpose, uh, does not only like it is our purpose and it's what gets people out of bed in the morning. It's what gets people going. It's what provides, uh, fulfillment, uh, to people, especially men. Now I think this applies to women too. I just don't know what it's like to be a woman, but, um, I think purpose is our driving force, in life. And it's something that we can rally around to make our lives better. And tell me, <laughs> what, what was I going to say? Um, I don't, I don't think that's very coherent, but anyway, I replaced, uh, nature because that's not really how we talk. Uh, people don't say, Oh yeah, well, what's your nature? We think of human nature in an extremely negative context. And I think that that's something that, uh, Marcus Aurelius, I don't know if they viewed it like that, uh, at the time, if it was purely negative and maybe he's trying to change the status quo on that, or if nature was a positive term in their time, uh, I don't really know how that works, but I, I, I could, I think it's fairly, um, fairly, uh, I think it's fair to replace nature with purpose. And I think it makes at least this quote in here, uh, it's more relatable, at least to me, because again, my thing is purpose, but I think also to people of our modern time, because when we hear somebody say, um, why aren't you running to do what your nature demands? That's almost, uh, to me, it seems hedonistic kind of like nature as in whatever, uh, urges that you feel like, you know, human nature, I guess I'm, I'm having a hard time articulating this because I didn't think I would go this way. Uh, I always go a different direction than what I prepare in my notes, but, um, I think this is a better approach is that nature always seems to have a negative context. So what I'm going to do here is replace nature with purpose. And hopefully it makes a little bit more, a little bit more sense, or you can relate to it a little bit better. I'm going to start in the second paragraph. So you were born to feel nice instead of doing things and experiencing them. Don't you see the plants, the birds, the ants and spiders and bees going about their individual tasks, putting the world in order as best they can, and you're not willing to do your job as a human being? Why aren't you running to do what your purpose demands? But we have to sleep sometime. Agreed. But purpose set a limit on that, as it did on eating and drinking, and you're over the limit. You've had more than enough of that but not of working. There, you're still below your quota. You don't love yourself enough, or you'd love your purpose too, and what it demands of you. People who love what they do wear themselves down doing it. They even forget to wash or eat. Do you have less respect for your own purpose than the engraver does for engraving, the dance dancer for the dance, the miser for the money, or the social climber for status? When they're really possessed by what they do, they'd rather stop eating and sleeping than give up practicing their arts. Is helping others less valuable to you? Not worth your effort. So, um, yeah, I, I think that that's, it makes sense to me. The only one that doesn't uh, make, the only one where nature makes a whole lot of sense, where purpose doesn't, is when he says, but nature set a limit on that. Because you have things like circadian rhythms that tell you when to get up and when to not. Um, maybe he's, maybe what you could say here is that uh, every 
every human has a purpose, which I think is what I believe. And maybe what he's saying is that is the nature of human beings, not necessarily the scientific form of nature of what we think about. And maybe that's why it has such a negative context, because we think of nature as, you know, hormones and dopamine and a little bit soulless, uh, at least in my experience. Maybe he's he's thinking of it in a different in a different fashion, but I think if you replace nature with purpose, it works out pretty damn well, especially the one where it says right here, you don't love yourself enough or you'd love your, your nature too. Sorry, I'm going to do that again. You don't love yourself enough or you'd love your nature too. Said again, you don't love yourself enough or you'd love your purpose too. I think that that's, that's pretty key. Um, one thing that I have found, um, in myself and what I see from other people is this high level of anxiety and not being at peace with themselves. Um, this is especially myself when they're not rallied around their purpose. Uh, and that's what it's saying. You don't love yourself enough. I think that self-respect, especially for men, it's really hard to have self-respect as a man if you don't have a purpose. I think that's when a lot of men go deep, deep into depression. And, you know, I mean, what is what is a, what is a hallmark of depression is not getting out of bed. I mean, a hallmark of depression is not showering, not getting out of bed. Um, and I think that a lot of men who lose their purpose uh, get there pretty quickly. Let's talk about veterans who come back from overseas. Their purpose was to be the biggest, baddest motherfucker in the Middle East and uh, go and protect the United States and engage in war. That was their purpose. And then they lost it. Um, they did well. They didn't. I mean, they didn't lose it. it. That's how. That's how it goes. I guess they did kind of lose it, but they come back and it's not there for them anymore. Uh, that's not their purpose anymore. Their purpose is to be something that they're not. Maybe they have a job that. Um, they don't want, or maybe, uh, they've got a family that they don't really know how to engage in. So they don't know how to make it their purpose. Uh, but people that come back and uh, don't find it, Jocko likes to call it finding a new mission. Um, people that come back and don't find a new mission or find a purpose, they get really, really depressed. Uh, let's think about that guy, you know, that, um, and in, in, in keeping with our idea of extreme ownership, it, it, he has a lot to do with it. But say he loses his family, say his wife walks out on him, um, his fault, yes, but doesn't change the circumstances. His wife walks out on him. Uh, we all know that guy that gets really, really depressed after that. Say he loses his wife and kids, um, turns to drinking, won't get out of bed, loses a couple jobs. Um, his life is just in shambles. And I think a lot of that is because he spent his whole the entirety of his time, hopefully if he's a decent dude, uh, that maybe just didn't know how to do marriage. Uh, cause there's a, there's a few of those guys that are really good hearted dudes that just don't pay enough attention. And they think that the only way to run a marriage is by working their ass off 12 hours a day and not paying any attention to their wife and kids. Um, and it's unfortunate. I mean, I chuckle just because of the irony, but, uh, they're so, they're such good dudes that they end up losing their family just because they simply don't think about the fact that um, that's not how, that's not where your family wants you to be. Your family doesn't want you to be out on the road making money. They want you to be at home. So, but you know that guy to where his wife walks out on him and he's, he's genuinely a good dude. He's not a piece of shit, but he turns to depression and it's because his, his, his purpose is gone. His purpose walked out the door. And I think that's what you're seeing here. And it's just a note that um, if you have a hard time waking up early and going and doing things, maybe those things aren't in line with your purpose. And when I talked about stacking dubs, I believe that was last week. Um, 
or the list most recent Sunday, the episode most recent Sunday. Um, I talked about stacking dubs very early in the day and how it improved my mood and improved my days. I, I think it's because the dubs that I'm stacking, and that stands for W's, by the way, that's wins, stacking wins early in the day. Um, when I'm doing that, that means I'm in line with my purpose. I'm connected to my purpose. Uh, when I go to the gym, it's because my purpose is to be a good husband and a good father. And I, the only way for me to do that is to be in peak physical uh, fitness and physical health. Um, my purpose is to be a leader. And you can only do that if you take care of yourself and you lead yourself adequately. So the first thing I do is get up and go work out. And when I miss a day like today, we're, I'm recording this on the Wednesday that it's coming out. Uh, I missed a morning workout and all day was just, it was just, it wasn't awful. I mean, no day is, is purely awful, but, uh, there's just this anxiety of, of knowing that, uh, the first action of my day, the first waking moment of my day was canceling my alarm. And that wasn't in line with my purpose. And then, uh, you know, I got up and I said, I'm going to stack some dubs. I got into a cold shower, went and, uh, visualized, talked to a stranger, all the things that I needed to do. Um, just missed the workout, but it was just super disheartening to know that, uh, my first action of the day was to cancel that alarm that, uh, puts me in line with my purpose. So, um, I think that's what he's trying to say here. And I, I couldn't agree more with him. It aligns with what I'm talking about perfectly, at least in my own life. So if you're having this anxiety, this, this feeling of, of not being at peace with yourself, maybe start trying to stack some dubs. Uh, moving on because we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, moving on, we're going to go to page 61, number 26 in book five for an, excellent, uh, an example of discipline. Let's see. Yeah, page 61, number 26. So he starts with, the mind is the ruler of the soul. It should remain unstirred by agitations of the flesh, gentle and violent ones alike, not mingling with them, but fencing itself off and keeping those feelings in their place. When they make their way into your thoughts through, sorry, I should have had the page ready to turn. Through the sympathetic link between mind and body, don't try to resist the sensation. The sensation is natural, but don't let the mind start in with judgments, calling it good or bad. Uh, this is a big Stoic philosophy. So if you're here to listen to Stoicism, number one, you probably didn't <laughs> probably didn't listen to episode one or, one or two because I said I wasn't going to focus much on Stoicism. Um, but this is this is a big. This is one of the things that Stoicism has going for it is the idea that you um, don't assign, you don't make value judgments on your thoughts and. Uh, and things that happen to you. So let's go over it again. The mind is the ruler of the soul. It should remain unstirred by agitations of the flesh, gentle and violent ones alike, not mingling with them, but fencing itself off and keeping those feelings in their place. When they make their way into your thoughts through the sympathetic link between mind and body, don't try to resist the sensation. The sensation is natural, but don't let the mind start in with judgments, calling it good or bad. So what he's saying here is that um, when let's see, it says it should remain unstirred by agitations of the flesh, gentle and violent ones alike. That's what I, uh, feel more like that your nature is that's, that's looking for, um, 
a description of what I, you know, the words that I was looking for in the past, uh, in the past section on purpose was, uh, was right here. The agitations of the flesh, basically what your body is saying to do your temptations of, Oh, let's get comfortable. Let's, you know, sit our ass on the couch instead of going to work out. Um, all of these temptations that you know you're not supposed to do, uh, sinning, whatever, you know, whatever sins they be, they are agitations of the flesh. What he's saying is, uh, Make sure that your mind is strong enough to assess those temptations and those urges and uh, segregate them from your soul and uh, don't assign value judgments to them. Just because your body wants to sit down on the couch, don't assign that as good or bad. Truly assess it in your mind and try not to take the uh, basically the temptation into account as a positive or a negative. Uh, that's, that's kind of the whole idea of stoicism. I use this for discipline, um, because basically what I wrote down here is that I think that a good way to describe discipline is, let's see, let me go back to my notes to make sure that I get it right for you. Um, I said discipline is controlling the barrier between mind and body. Um, I think that that, I, I think that that works pretty well. And the more that I look at that, Controlling the barrier between mind and body, kind of like what he's saying here is don't let it be um, moved by agitations of the flesh. I think that you can call that discipline because um, whether it's whether it's temptations from the body um, trying to enter your mind, enter your soul, uh, or temptations from your mind trying to enter the body, uh, discipline is having a good handle between the two. Discipline is not eating that cake when you want to eat it. When your mind tells you to eat it, uh, or let's say your body tells you to eat it, your stomach says, oh, I want that cake, that sugar, those calories. Uh, your mind, it, it, it's it's controlling that barrier between the mind and body and saying, okay, I'm receiving this signal. Uh, I'm not going to tell my hands to grab the cake because I'm disciplined. I'm not going to think about it because I'm disciplined. Uh, you know, of the mind, like we, uh, how do I, you know, we all know when, uh, you get really angry and like you have thoughts about just punching the shit out of somebody. <laughs> you, I mean, you do, at least I do. It's, they're called the intrusive thoughts, you know, the memes of like, oh, I can't let the intrusive thoughts win. That's discipline. And at its, at its peak level, um, I guess peak level at, at its purest form, is like what we talked about in the past is making your body get out of bed even though your legs are so heavy your arms are so heavy you don't know how you're gonna get your torso out of bed that's your body telling you hey i want to be in bed and discipline is controlling that barrier between your mind and your body and forcing those thoughts through and saying no you're gonna throw the covers off and you're gonna swing your leg over and get out of bed uh that to me in its purest form is what discipline is now, I may be wrong on that, but that's kind of what I got out of that uh, little note. And that's what I wrote down earlier today is that um, basically what he's saying and, and a lot of what stoicism is, I think stoicism could be summed up as discipline of your emotions. The more I learn about it now, I'm not very keen on stoic uh, philosophies and I want to get a guest on um He's from the G3 podcast, but he said that he's learned a lot about stoicism. Uh, I'm giving myself time to learn uh, a little bit more about it so that I can actually engage in conversation with him and giving him a little bit more time to learn about it, obviously, because when I listened to one of his podcasts, he was rather new to it. But uh, I want to have him on to talk about 
stoicism and what he thinks stoicism is and kind of clear up some of my confusion about stoicism. But I think a good way um, to categorize stoicism is discipline of the emotions. I don't know about the whole body. Um, I mean, in, in this book, it talks about the whole body, but I think where he really emphasizes stoicism is uh, in the emotions and, and providing value assessments to these thoughts. Like he says in here, uh, but don't let the mind start in with judgments, calling it good or bad. Um, yeah, so that's what I've got for discipline on book five. We're going to go to the topic of good book number five, page 65, number 37. So, oh, it's the very last one. So we started with the very first one and we're going to end with the very last one. He says, I was once a fortunate man, but at some point fortune abandoned me. But true good fortune is what you make for yourself. Good fortune, good character, good intentions, and good actions. I think that that is, that is pretty gold. Um, he says earlier, I think in the last episode where he talks about um, they can't hurt you as long as your character remains intact. I know that's not the original quote and I wasn't going to go here, but um, what he's saying is that to be rich or to have good fortune is solely dependent on the things that you build for yourself. And I think that's where Jocko's good uh, mentality comes from is that look, the, the only way that anything is going to be good is if you believe it's good and a better default setting than, Oh, it might be good. It might be bad is that it's good. Uh, we're going to take this and we're going to go good and we're going to make, you know, make things happen. And that comes from having good character, good intentions and good actions. Um, I, I think it creates good character, good intentions and good actions. If you're constantly assessing these bad things that happen in your life. So he says, I was once a fortunate man, but at some point fortune abandoned me. That could be anything. That could be, again, your wife leaving. Uh, that could be <laughs> you getting a badass job and you get fired one day out of, you know, for no reason you feel like. And uh, you say, good, I've got good character, I've got good intentions, and I've got good actions. We're going to make the best of this. So I thought that was a cool little note, especially to end the book on. The rest of the stuff, man, they've got a lot of good stuff uh, in book five. I just didn't think uh, the rest of it was extremely noteworthy. Uh, to take the time and, and tell you about. So we're going to move on to book six. And this one is jam-packed. I think this one's probably the fullest book of just good stuff that I thought was uh, noteworthy and that I wanted to talk to you about. It didn't really fit. There wasn't like a set of themes that it fit. It wasn't, I couldn't divide into like purpose, discipline, and good. And I couldn't even put like multiples into purpose, discipline, and good. It's just... They, they just are like these quotes are really, really, um, awesome. They were impactful to my life. And so I'm just going to go through them one by one. It may be a little bit tedious and talk about how I, uh, saw these quotes and what I think that you should be, or at least what I got out of them. And hopefully you got something similar. So we're going to start on number two, just that you do the right thing. The rest doesn't matter. Cold or warm, tired or well-rested, despised or honored, dying or busy with other assignments because dying too is one of our assignments in life there as well to do what needs doing. Uh, that one's kind of convoluted towards the end there. He says there as well to do what needs doing. I guess that's not too convoluted. Basically what he's saying is don't, don't fear, um, don't fear death, uh, tired or well rested, despised or honored. You still do the right thing. And what he's saying is that, um, the right thing, what's in our nature, is to die eventually. 
And so it doesn't matter. You still need to do the right thing and, and I guess fulfill your purpose or, um, be a good person while you are on this earth because it is, it's going to be your duty to die. Don't fall into nihilism and be a piece of shit because everybody's going to die anyway. Um, go through life with the conscious knowledge that you are eventually going to die and do the right thing anyway. Um, and what I said here is those, uh, those with a purpose can withstand the, uh, trivial aspects of life and their trials. So yeah. Um, I think that it's a little bit deeper than that. That's what I wrote when I first read it, but I do think it's a little bit deeper than that to where it includes death. But I mean, he's right. Uh, he says just that you do the right thing. The rest doesn't matter. Cold or warm, tired or well rested, despised or honored, dying or busy with other assignments because dying too is one of our assignments in life. There as well to do what needs doing and to do what needs doing is in quotes. So, um, yeah, I think if you have a purpose, uh, dying becomes a lot less scary because you can spend every day fulfilling that purpose. And you know that part of your purpose is, is dying and, and leaving a legacy and, uh, leaving room for the, uh, the next people to come in your next generation. So that's a, that's a good one on number two. Uh, number six is good. Just, it, it's just a good little one, not one liner. It says the best revenge is not to be like that. That one's really good. I like that. And I have a bad, uh, I have a bad habit. This actually happened to me, um, recently. Uh, there was a guy at the gym that, uh, I, I don't know that I'd been button heads with. There was a tension. There was a tension for some reason, one reason or another, and is probably, I mean, if we're following with Jocko's concepts, it was 100% me. Uh, it was probably my ego flaring up. Um, I was coming into lift early in the mornings and, uh, <laughs> there was just, there was just tension and I decided that I was going to break the tension, let my ego down, uh, go and, and just talk to this dude. Like, well, maybe the tension is the fact that he doesn't know my name and I'm walking through the middle of his class to go and lift uh, at a gym that is meant for classwork, but I'm going to go and lift anyway. So I started with, I was like, Hey man, you know, uh, Oh, I was, I was, that's what it was. I was confused. I didn't know his wife was in the class. And so, uh, I asked, I was like, Oh man, did you drive your truck here? And he was like, nah, it's like, Oh, cool. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't see it out there. You know what I mean? Like I, I didn't know how he got here. Cause there was only like three of us here and I should have put it together that that was his wife, but I didn't even see her. Um, and he's got a pretty recognizable truck. So I figured we could start talking about his truck or something. I don't know what I was thinking. It was 5 a.m. in the morning. So, uh, not a big deal, but, um, anyway, uh, later, like maybe 30 seconds, a minute and a half later, I was like, Oh man, Hey, you know, my name's Haas. Uh, it, it's nice to meet you, dude. I've, I've never gotten your name and I'm not going to say his name. Uh, I'll, I'll put a fake. He's, he goes, it's Danny. And then like, just walks off. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, cool. <laughs> All right, then. Well, good to meet you, Danny. Um, and so I just kind of walk over and leave it. And, uh, the reason I, I like this number six is, uh, the best revenge is to not be like that or is not to be like that. Uh, I was immediately, uh, I did immediately what you're not supposed to do where I was like, oh, well, if it's going to be like that, it's going to be like that then. You know what I mean? Cause I mean, he was kind of a dick. And so, uh, I was like, if it's going to be like that, it's going to be like that. And so, I was like, what we're going to do is I'm just not going to talk to him. He's not going to talk to me, the side eye the shit out of him. And I'm going to come in here and let my ego flare, which is not what you need to do. 100% not what you need to do. 
complete and total mistake on my part. Well, anyway, I came in, I mean, not even, it was the next time I was in the gym and he was in the gym at the same time. And he caught me and, and apologized um, because, I mean, he knew he was a dick and he was. Uh, those were his exact words, by the way. Um, it's not like I'm calling him something he didn't call himself. Uh, but he was like, dude, I'm sorry. And uh, that immediately hit me. And I was like, you dumbass. Like, why, why did you even like, why was your response to do the exact same thing that he, he made a mistake? Um, you know, he had a lapse of judgment and he was an asshole for a second, but, uh, you like, it was more egregious on my end because I said, Oh yeah, I'm going to do it back. And, uh, I immediately felt so bad. Um, I felt like I was the one way more in the wrong than what he ever was. And I was, uh, because I knew better and, uh, it wasn't just a, a lapse of judgment on my part. It was a conscious decision to, uh, turn about as fair play. And so, um, you know, the best revenge is not to be like that. Uh, I don't even think of it as revenge. If you're not going to be like that, it's just moving on. So, um, next one is going to be, uh, let's see. Jarred unavoidably circumstances. Don't lose rhythm more than you can help it. Okay, yeah. Let's do this one. When jarred unavoidably by circumstances, revert at once to yourself and don't lose the rhythm more than you can help. You'll have a better grasp on the of the harmony if you keep on going back at it. Let's read that again. Sorry, some of the syntax and like the way he words things here is really hard for me to read out loud. I'm and silly goose anyway when I go to read. So when jarred unavoidably by circumstances, revert at once to yourself and don't lose the rhythm more than you can help. You'll have a better grasp of the harmony if you keep on going back to it. So basically what he's saying is that don't let uh, unavoidable little circumstances that ruin your, uh, ruin your routine, don't let them ruin your routine. Get immediately back onto your routine. It's the only way to... Uh, keep harmony and uh and rhythm in your life is to stick to a routine um i think that's incredibly incredibly true uh i've noticed that in my life when i let one thing knock me off my routine and i'm not immediately focused on getting back on that routine then i'll go i mean i'll go 30 60 days uh just being you know a piece of shit in my own life um uh, it's bad the focus needs to be on a routine. Um, routine is a vehicle for discipline. And I've seen this in corporate America quite a bit. And if I keep talking this much about <laughs> just one or two of these, it's going to be a long podcast, but, um, I've seen this in corporate America a lot to where the, uh, the avoidance of structure causes a lot more issues than what anybody ever thought it would. So for example, you hear a lot of people, Oh, well, this meeting could have been an email. You hear a lot of people say that, and I agree, and a lot of people agree with the, oh, this meeting could have been an email, but what a lot of people also don't understand is that when motivation, when, how do I put this, when status is good, when morale is high and motivation is low, things can sneak up on you really, really quick, and so it's important to have a routine, for example, um, reviewing projects. Let's take projects. For example, uh, when things are going well in a project and nobody wants to talk about the project, we just want to go out there, do the work and get it done. Nobody wants to have hour long review meetings where we go over the status and we go over the schedule and we go over the money because the project is going well. Who gives a shit? Let's all, let's all leave at two o'clock and go golfing and drink beers afterwards. That's, this is our time to relax when things get bad. 
Uh, that's when we'll put the extra work in and do all the meetings and all the bullshit that everybody hates. Uh, yeah, I can, I can understand that to a certain extent, but what ends up happening is because we have no structure for meetings, even when they're going good, uh, it takes us, you know, three months worth of shitty project performance for us to decide that we need a meeting, you know, a regularly occurring meeting on it. And then everybody's not happy in the meeting. It's not a standard anymore. It's a punishment. Um, setting standards for your life and for the way that you, um, exercise discipline is the only way to keep it going when unavoidable little, uh, catastrophes happen in your life. So try to maintain a routine and stick to that routine. So let's go through, um, let's see. Okay. This one is a good one. It's a, it's a pretty long one. We're going to do number 16 on book six. What is in it? What is it in ourselves that we should prize? Not just transpiration, even plants do that, or respiration, even beasts and wild animals breathe, or being struck by passing thoughts, or jerk like a puppet by your own impulses, or moving in herds, or eating and relieving yourself afterwards. Then what is to be prized? An audience clapping? No, no more than the clacking of their tongues, which is all that public praise amounts to, a clacking of tongues. So we throw out other people's recognition. What's left for us to prize? I think it is this, to do and not to do what we were designed for. That's the goal of all trades, all arts, and what each of them aims are that aims at the thing that they create should do what it is designed to do. The nurseryman who cares for the vines, the horse trainer, the dog breeder, this is what they aim at. And teaching and education, what else are they trying to accomplish? So that's what we should prize. Hold on to that and you won't be tempted to aim at anything else. And if you can't stop prizing a lot of other things, then you'll never be free. Free, independent, imperturbable. Yeah, imperturbable, I think is what that word is. Because you'll always be envious and jealous, afraid that people might come and take it all away from you. Plotting against those who have themselves, or them, those things you prize. People who need those things are bound to be a mess and bound to take out their frustration on the gods. Whereas to respect your own mind, to prize it, will leave you satisfied with your own self, well integrated into your community, and in tune with the gods as well, embracing what they allot you and what they ordain. Sorry guys for the stuttering. If I cut every stutter out or try to redo every time I messed up a reading, this would take me four hours to record 30 minutes. So thank you for bearing through it. What is this saying? I think... Um, I think what he's saying, let's, let's start in the beginning. What is it in ourselves that we should prize? What he's asking here is why should we love ourselves? Why should we prize something in ourselves? And what is that? Uh, what in ourselves should we appreciate? Um, he says, you know, should we prize respiration or being struck by passing thoughts or jerked by like a puppet by your own impulses? No. Uh, I have it highlighted down here in like the second or third paragraph, however you categorize your paragraphs. He says, I think it is to do this, to do and not to do what we were designed for. That's what we love about ourselves. So uh, my notes right here, it says to love one's purpose is to love oneself and one's God. A purpose is the only thing um, you can hold on to focus on your purpose. So my headspace when reading this, um, goes immediately um, to the fact of where when people, I say the fact, 
to the idea of when people aren't at peace with themselves, when people don't have self-respect, when people aren't happy with the way that their lives are going, it's because they're not in tune with their purpose. Maybe they don't, they, maybe they don't know what their purpose is. Uh, for me, I think I've always had an inkling as to what my purpose is, but I've never stated it or I hadn't stated it. A lot of people don't have any idea what their purpose might be. Maybe they're single, living alone in an apartment, working a job that they hate, uh, and they don't have many hobbies. This is this is not uncommon. And they don't know what their purpose is going to be. They have no clue. And so they're just extremely anxious. And they have a lack of self-respect. Because uh, what purpose is, is it's, it's purpose isn't respect. But it, purpose identifies your place in the world. And gives you a reason to deserve respect, I think. Uh, I think that's a good summary. Not a summary of purpose, but... I think that's why people who lack self-respect also, not people, people who lack a purpose, I think also lack a little bit of self-respect is because what do they have to respect in society? If you have no purpose, then what is, what is there to respect? Uh, you'll find that we don't often respect things. Let's talk about just things in life, not necessarily people. We don't often respect, um, things that don't have a purpose in our lives, or at least I don't. Uh, you may enjoy them. You may admire them, but I don't think the term respect uh, comes to mind when you think of ice cream. People respect uh, good, whole, healthy foods. Uh, is that making any sense? I hope it is. You know, in terms of uh, pets on the farm, um, you enjoy your dogs and cats, you have a good time with them. You know, your dogs have a purpose. If they're working dogs, uh, they get your respect. I don't know that they, um, love is something different, but they, they have your respect because they have a purpose. Horses, horses have a respect because they have a purpose. Cattle, cattle have a respect because they have a purpose. They're going to feed us eventually. Um, cats, house cats, uh, don't have much respect for them. That doesn't mean I'm an asshole to all of them. That doesn't mean it's a license to abuse your house cats or whatever. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, what I'm saying is that the way we view things in life that are for pleasure versus purpose are different. And when people start viewing themselves in terms of purpose, I think that's when they um, find a new sense of self-respect. And I think that's what he's saying here. So what is it in ourselves that we should prize? Well, you should prize your purpose. And hopefully it's a purpose of service, which means that you prize serving other people. I think that's a good thing to take away from that. So let's see. Next one's going to be number 18. The way people behave. They refuse to admire their contemporaries, the people whose lives they share. No, but to be admired by posterity, people they've never met and never will. That's what they set their hearts on. You might as well be upset at not being a hero to your great-grandfather. Um, this one, this one was kind of weird. Uh, and I thought it, <laughs> I thought it especially fitting that we're sitting here reading a book by Marcus Aurelius. And he says the way people behave, they refuse to admire their contemporaries, the people whose lives they share. No, but to be admired by posterity, people they've never met and never will. That's what they set their hearts on. You might as well be upset at not being a hero to your great grandfather. That's kind of a two part note. Um, he says they refuse to admire their contemporaries, the people whose lives they share. I think that is, uh, there's definitely a certain class of people out there, um, that don't really look 
at uh, people their own age or people that are still living for like good advice, they would much rather dive deep into history and see what the four, the founding fathers said and, or Marcus Aurelius. Um, what Marcus is saying here is aspire to, uh, not only aspire, admire the people around you and aspire to be admired by the people around you, not posterity and don't admire all the people that came, came before you. And he's saying that, um, yes, build a legacy, uh, but be focused on the people that are around you, uh, because wanting to be a hero to your great grandchildren is just as silly as wanting to be a hero to your great grandfather. Now, I don't know how much I really agree with this. I I've thought about this, um, for days on end. I've looked it up. I, I don't really know how exactly I feel about this, um, other than it's just an interesting take and it's especially ironic given that I'm reading books from 2000 years ago or however the hell long ago this was written. Um, so it's just kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really know how to feel about it, but, uh, I, the one thing I can say is that, um, maybe focus on making an impact to those around you. Don't, don't try to build a legendary life if it's going to make you forsake, uh, your own children. For example, why are you trying to build a life that posterity is going to appreciate by, um, not seeing to your own children? And now the one example is coming to mind. I don't even know that I should, uh, I should really mention it at all, but I'm going to, because it came to mind and it may be of use, um, you know, Elon Musk, uh, doing great things in the world. I don't have any room to talk shade on him, first of all, but I'm pretty sure he's got a lot of kids that he doesn't really pay a lot of attention to. And, uh, you know, maybe what Marcus Aurelius is saying here is that, uh, spend less time thinking about posterity and more time thinking about those around you. That's just an example that comes to mind. Probably shouldn't even have said it, but, um, we all know, the celebrities that are super, super focused at, uh, making sure that they're legendary, but, uh, they don't, how, how do you say this? They don't necessarily pay attention to their own children. And I don't know if Elon does. Yeah. I, I really don't know much about Elon, but from what I've heard, he doesn't, he's like a super big proponent of having a lot of children, but doesn't, um, isn't exactly present in all their lives because he's busy building an empire, which there's something to be said about building an empire. He's got more money than I'll probably ever see in my life. So not much room to talk, but that's kind of what I think of. Let me know if you think I'm right or wrong. Um, next one, number 19, not to assume it's impossible because you find it hard, but to recognize that if it's humanly possible, you can do it too. This is confidence. I like it. Um, I like it. I like it. I like it. Uh, I think this is a big, um, yeah, I don't know how I want to approach that. Uh, not to assume it's impossible because you find it hard, but to recognize that if it's humanly possible, you can do it too. So basically what he's saying is that, uh, you think it's, you don't think it's impossible. Uh, you think it's hard. And a lot of people think that, well, I just walked myself into a circle there. Um, if it is humanly possible, then it's not impossible. You can still do it. If it's humanly possible to become an astronaut, you can still become an astronaut. If it's uh, humanly possible to become president, you can become president because other humans are doing it. They're not that much different than what you are. Um, this is where I find a lot of confidence uh, because my dad preached this, I mean, specifically to me, is that if anybody can do it, you can do it. Um, you're no different than, you're no worse than anybody else out there. And uh, 
the willingness to try makes you better than a lot of people out there. Um, so go get shit done. Go do things that people are going to say that you could never do. Uh, particularly, let's talk about one, a podcast. Getting a podcast to a point to where you can live your life off of it. Um, not to assume it's impossible because you find it hard, but to recognize that if it's humanly possible, you can do it too. Um, Joe Rogan's not that much different of a guy than I am. Um, I mean, simple as I can, I can make this podcast what I want it to be. Whatever your goal is, if it's to be the best engineer in the state of Texas, uh, whoever the best engineer in the state of Texas now, which I guess would be Elon Musk come to think of it. Um, he's human. So, uh, go get after it. It is possible. You can do it. Good little motivation quote. So, uh, not last one. Next one. If anyone can refute me, show me I'm making a mistake or looking at things from the wrong perspective, I'll gladly change. Number 21. Uh, yeah. If anyone can refute me, show me I'm making a mistake or looking at things from the wrong perspective, I'll gladly change. It's the truth I'm after. And the truth never harmed anyone. What harms us is to persist, persist in self-deceit and ignorance. Big one, guys. Um, this My perspective changed on this when I read Leadership Strategy and Tactics and started thinking about everything of – started thinking – about everything in terms of the team winning, kind of what Jocko says. He says, it's the truth I'm after. Uh, I want to seek the truth. So if I'm wrong, tell me because I'm out of alignment with the truth. That's a really good way to just go and look at life is that, you know, if you really want to be right, what's right is the truth. So um, be open to having your mind changed and understand that you're human and you could be wrong. But if you're confident enough that you want to be right 24 seven or ambitious enough that, um, you want to be right, then be open to the truth. If it's not what you, what you believe, if somebody can present it well enough that, uh, it is clearly the truth. Don't let your pride get in the way of finding truth. Good little, uh, good little quote there. Number 24, Alexander the Great and his mule driver both died and the same thing happened to both. They were absorbed alike into the life force of the world or dissolved alike into atoms. Um, this is kind of a big topic for me and I'm working on some things uh, outside of the podcast to kind of express this. But I think this is, uh, this is exactly what humility is supposed to be. When you think of the word humble or humility... Um, a lot of people have a perception of it. I'm not going to get into it right now of what that perception may be. Um, but I think the, the, the purest, purest definition of humility is the recognition that we're all made of the same material. We're all human. Kind of like I said in the, uh, in the past two quotes or, uh, number, let's see, number 19, where don't assume it's impossible because if it's humanly possible, you can do it. I think humility is that recognition in uh, in the negative direction as well. Alexander the Great and his mule driver both died and the same thing happened to both. They were absorbed alike into the life force of the world or dissolved alike into atoms. They're made of the same thing. Uh, Alexander the Great and his mule driver. Um, humility is Alexander the Great acknowledging that him and his mule driver will go to the same place. They're made of the same material and... Uh, Alexander the Great had just as uh, just as much of a chance to be a mule driver as he did um, Alexander the Great. That's kind of what I believe the true um, definition of humility is, and I think that that's different than what we kind of view it as 
right now. And I think this is a pretty big quote that um, it's simple. And that's what I like about a lot of what Marcus says in this book is that it's relatively simple with large impacts. But look at book six, number 24, and think about that for quite a long while as to what you believe humility is and if this aligns with it. A lot of people would say yes, but then they won't acknowledge it in the other direction. So for example, um, not to assume it's possible because you find it hard, but to recognize that if it's humanly possible, you can do it too. A good little homework assignment is I want you to ask yourselves um, if you can be a humble person and maintain number 19 and number 24 at the same time. Uh, can Can you hold this belief, not to assume it's impossible because you find it hard, but to recognize that if it's humanly possible, you can do it too? Can you believe that, that anything in this world that's humanly possible, you can you can obtain, obtain and you can achieve? And 24, Alexander the Great and his mule driver both died and the same thing happened to both. They were absorbed alike into the life force of the world or devo- dissolved alike into atoms. Can you believe that both of those are totally and completely true and still be, quote unquote, a humble person? I want you to think about that. This, these are things that I've got coming up in the future, but um, I want you to think about that and see if your definition of humility and maybe if you hold humility as a principle in your life, if it allows for both of those thoughts at the same time, simultaneously, um, they weren't written that far apart. So my assumption is that Marcus Aurelius, um, held those thoughts simultaneously and reading this book, you get out of this book that he is a humble person. So I want you to just do a a little assessment on what your, uh, value of humility is and if it allows for both of those thoughts to remain true at the same time just just a little thought exercise so this is this is a good one. 26 if someone asked you how to write your name would you clench your teeth and spit out the letters one by one if he lost his temper would you lose yours as well or would you just spell out the individual letters remember your responsibilities can be broken down into individual parts Concentrate on those and finish the job methodically without getting stirred up or meeting anger with anger. Yeah, uh, there's a lot in this. If someone asked you how to write your name, would you clench your teeth and spit out the letters one by one? No. The answer is no. It's a rhetorical question. I answered it for you. No, you wouldn't. You would write your name. If he lost his temper, would you lose yours as well? Or would you just spell out the individual letters? Remember, Your responsibilities can be broken down into individual parts as well. Concentrate on those and finish the job methodically without getting stirred up or meeting anger with anger. Um, What I took away from this may be different than what you did. What I took away, of course, because my mind is centered on purpose. Um, You knew that when you got here, so don't be surprised. Um, Your purpose is your name. Your purpose is as much a part of you, uh, even more a part of you than what your name is. I think that... Um, you know, somebody else gives you your name. I think that your purpose is almost given to you. Now I'm not hugely religious and I don't, um, read the Bible all that often. I don't know much about it. So I don't know if I'm wrong here, but I think your purpose is given to you by God. And, uh, it's a decision that you and God make together. I think is God shows you kind of the way and then you accept the purpose. Your, your name is given to you by your parents and you can change that. Uh, I think purposes should be viewed um, should be viewed as kin to your name. It is as much a part of you as what your name is. Where I got that is um, your purpose is what what you can do um, 
what comes naturally to you uh, and what you're willing to put enough effort into that you make it like writing your name. So we all remember that time when we first learned how to write out our name. And that's what he's talking about here is you, you had to start with writing out the letters one by one by one. You had to start with an H. Then you had to go with an O. Then you had to write an S. And then you had to write the same perfect S right behind it. Then you had to do an R. Then you had to do an A. Then you had to do a U. And then an S and then a C and then an H and then an E and then an R. And then you had to try to pronounce that. Haas Rauscher. And then finally you learned it. Now you can write your name blindfolded. Um, I can. You know what I mean? It's it's not that hard. It's incredibly easy. As a matter of fact, it's hard to write my it's hard to sign my name slow. I don't have an actual signature. I just have scribbles. Because I know exactly what the letters mean and it just goes too fast. And it's hard for me to sit there and write it slow. Um, I know my name that well. I want to know my purpose that well. And the same way to learn your purpose uh, it, it, the process used to learn your name is the same used to learn your purpose. Um, identify what your purpose is. You know your name when you're little because your parents call you that. Uh, learning how to exercise your purpose. Start with the steps that you know you need to put your purpose together. Say your purpose is to be a good husband. Well, identify that in order to be a good husband, you have to tell your wife that you love her. Okay? That is a requirement to be a good husband. I'm sorry for all the dudes that... Um, keep the L word out of their mouth as much as possible. So start with that. Start saying I love you on a more frequent basis. <laughs> Put that piece together. Uh, another thing to be a good husband is you've got to provide. Start with doing the things that you need to to provide. Maybe that's going to school again. Uh, maybe that is working a little bit of overtime. Maybe that's finding a second stream of income. Do these things and start to exercise your purpose. It's not going to be immediate. You're not going to immediately snap and know your purpose like it's the back of your hand or like it's your name. But you have to work. You have to work on exercising your purpose. And uh, a good little note here because I love Jocko uh, is prioritize and execute. That's exactly what you're doing here. <laughs> I mean, it, you can't write it any better than prioritize and execute. Uh, what is the first priority in your name? The first fucking letter. <laughs> I mean, that's the highest priority. You're not going to write your name backwards. That's That just doesn't make any sense. The highest priority is to write the first letter. Okay, prioritize. Execute the first letter. What's the next priority? The next letter. Okay, do the same with your purpose. Prioritize and execute your purpose. And eventually, exercising your purpose will come to you just like writing your name. So, let's see. Let me see what I've got left here. And go over just the just the heavy hitters. Let's see. So um, I think the next one. Yeah, I think I'm only gonna do one more. Uh, I'm gonna do the one right next to it because I think it's pretty pretty important, and I've got a lot to say about it. And we're getting close to an hour. So it says, how cruel to forbid people to want what they think is good for them. And yet that's just what you won't let them do when you get angry at their misbehavior. They're drawn towards what they think is good for them, but it's not good for them. Then show them that. Prove it to them instead of losing your temper. Let me read that again. Number 27, book 6. How cruel to forbid people to want what they think is good for them. 
And yet that's just what you won't let them do when you get angry at their misbehavior. They're drawn towards what they think is good for them, but it's not good for them. Then show them that. Prove it to them instead of losing your temper. Uh, this is this is pretty excellent, and this is something that I have failed at um, pretty often, especially before I read uh, Jocko Willink. Um, this is this is a perfect description of the indirect approach by Jocko Willink. By the way, um, I know I'm stuck on Jocko, but it, it just it, it relates so well. And again, admire your contemporaries. I'm doing exactly what Marcus Aurelius is telling me to do. Um, but he comes in here and he says. He he writes in here, um, how cruel to forbid people to want what they think is good for them. Uh, You know that buddy who has a girlfriend that uh, is kind of a bitch (laughs) and that nobody really likes? Uh, How cruel of it, it, how cruel of you to um, forbid people to want what they think is good for them? How cruel of you to go and say, look, I know you think this is good for you, but it's not. Um, It's kind of mean, man. When you really think about it, these people are so uh, dead set on what they think is actually good for them um, to crush uh, everything that they know and believe in a way that is um, rude and almost, uh, almost assaulting them with what you believe is the truth. You're not going to win any friends like that. He says it's cruel. I don't know how cruel it is. Um, it does seem kind of mean, but uh, nevertheless, it's going to instigate bad emotion. And what he's saying here is that uh, show them that it's not good for them. Prove to them instead of losing your temper. The only way you can do that and show them what is good for them and what's not good for them is to be a good example. This one is big to me. Uh, This one is is very, very big. And what I wrote is, you cannot fix the want for bad, only increase the want for good. Be an example. This is key. (laughs) This is key. You can't fix people wanting bad. To me, that is human nature. The people that want the bad, because it's typically long-term bad is momentary good. Momentarily good. Uh, This girlfriend that he's got, it's momentarily good because he was lonely a month ago. And now he's not lonely anymore. Um, It's momentarily good because maybe, you know, the sex is really great or whatever. Whatever reason he's got for being with this girl is momentarily good. But in the long term, it's bad. You can't fix the want for bad. Uh, You can't fix people who want something that is bad for them. You can't fix that. All you can do is increase their desire for good. By proving to them that the path that you're on is in the long term better for them than the want for bad. And I think that maybe maybe my note is false. You can't fix the want for bad. Maybe nobody wants bad. They're just not quite sure as to what is good for them. Um, you can't fix people wanting what is good for them. All you can do is show them what's really good. And you have to do that by being an example. Um that is something that I have wholly uh, adopted in my life. Now, again, I have said before, I don't, um, I don't believe that unsolicited advice is inherently bad. I don't. I, I think that 
if you're a friend and you claim to be friends with with your men and other people, um, I say your men, like your teammates, um, your brothers, if you claim to truly be friends and truly care about them, I do think that there is a point to where you say, hey, man, uh, I really think that your life would be a little bit better if you did this. Or, hey, man, do you want to talk about this? I've got a few thoughts for you on what you're doing here. I don't think that's I don't think that's incredibly bad, but I think it needs to come after you've shown them uh, the good path. And I think it needs to come once you're relatively sure that they have the realization that the path that you're on is uh, a more positive path than the one that they're on. Drinking, for example, um, if you're out, let's say. How do I put this? Um, I've never had a huge problem with drinking. I, I never really have. I've never been the guy to um, drink every weekend, drink every night, um, get just hammered drunk for no reason, uh, and not be able to quit. Always been able to quit. Um, knock on wood that I don't end up with a crippling alcohol addiction. But I never have been the guy to have an alcohol addiction, never drank and drove, stuff like that. Uh, I never drink and drive, never have drank and drove, I guess is the way you'd pass tense that, um, never really had a problem with it. Uh, now if I see one of my buddies who might have a problem with it used to, I would say, Hey man, um, is there anything we can do to, to kind of help this? Uh, that's all fine and good. As long as you're not, you know, if this is a Thursday night, maybe you're sober with them. That's fine. Um, and that's, I mean, this plays into my point is don't, don't try to tell your friend that uh, drinking is bad for him when you've got a beer in your hand and he's trying to be sober. This is obvious, but even at a higher level, don't uh, go over to his house on a Thursday night and say, oh, hey man, let's try to get you fixed up. This is bad for you and have some sort of intervention. And then on Friday night, go get blasted in your backyard just because you can handle it doesn't mean he can. And you have to show him that the path to no alcohol is the good path. Uh, this applies for a lot of things. <laughs> fitness, fitness, for example. Um, now I don't know that I was incredibly like I didn't give out much advice about uh, weightlifting or anything like that um, or health, but I always thought that I could. And if I saw somebody doing something like truly unhealthy, I might give them a little bit of shit about it. You know what I mean? Like let's say alcohol, for example, but I was, I was fat, you know what I mean? 20, 2018, 2019, 2020, even 2021, uh, incredibly fat. And you know, me from any sort of position trying to tell people, Hey, maybe you shouldn't eat fried food. Um, is that wrong? No. Would their life be better if they listened to my advice about not eating fried food? Yeah. Am I going to break any barriers, um, that they have to eating fried food being 335 pounds? No, <laughs> no whatsoever. And, uh, I can tell you now that I've completely changed my life. Thanks to, um, a whole group of people, Jonah and Nick Shelton being two of them. Uh, but thanks to a whole group of people completely changing my life, lost 40 something pounds. I'm still going on the way down, uh, gaining muscle like crazy. Um, now that I've done that, when I counsel somebody on nutrition and I say, Hey Brett, maybe your calories, uh, on this app are just a little bit too high. Um, that seems wickedly high for you. You haven't lost a pound in a little bit. Let's bring that back down. I'm just using that as, as an example because I know Brett doesn't mind me using his name. Um, 
I need to think of some fake names to use that aren't my actual friends. But when I, when I say, Hey man, you might want to do this with your nutrition. Uh, I've shown him that, uh, I've, I've not just simply taken away from what he wants to do that may be bad for him. I have shown him a better path that is more good than the one he's on right now. And, uh, in, in his eyes, and when I go to counsel him, I have a lot more weight. It's no longer cruel in Marcus's words. Uh, now, Brett does the same thing for me. Uh, be open to other people showing you the path of better good. Um, better good is funny. Be be open to people showing you the path of good. Um, but if you want to try to change any hearts and minds in your own life and the people that are close to you, you have to be on that path yourself. You're not going to counsel them and pull them away from the things that they think are good for them without showing them what is inherently uh, better for them. So, guys, I think that's all I've got. Um, yeah, last, well, I'll do a last little one. It's short. It says, <laughs> disgraceful for the soul to give up when the body is still going strong. Um, be tenacious. Go and get after it. Have persistence. What I wrote here was, uh, let the body fail. It gets left behind. Uh, I thought that was pretty, uh, I, I thought that was pretty not prophetic, but profound. Um, yeah, let it fail. Let the body fail. Disgraceful for the soul to give up when the body is still going strong. Um, don't give up. Take your body to failure. Uh, don't let your soul be the one that breaks when you're on the assault bike and you're just giving it your all. Um, don't, don't let your soul be what fails. Let your body be what fails. So anyway, guys, that's all I've got for you. Um, go get after it. Let me know if you are enjoying this series. We're going to do another episode probably tomorrow on book seven and eight. Uh, hope you enjoy what we're doing here. Uh, be ready for Blood Meridian. Uh, Blood Meridian is going to come in March. It is a really, really good book. I'm going to try to do it justice. It is uh, it is deep. It's as deep as it is long. Um, start reading it now. I, I can tell you that if you're going to try to read, uh, if you're going to try to cover it at the pace that I covered it, uh, it's going to be difficult. Um, start reading it now. Get ahead. Uh, try to understand. If you're going to read it with the podcast, and I recommend that you do, um, start reading ahead a little bit. Uh, get, a, get ahead and know that uh, the podcast is going to cover a lot of pages in a, in a relatively uh, short amount of time. And unless you're extremely disciplined or unless you can read for long, long uh, bricks of time, we're going to, uh, I'm going to outpace you uh, almost immediately on the first episode. Um, if you're not, if you're not on top of your shit. So get Blood Meridian, try to read it guys. It's a really, really good book. Uh, look at it in, in, a different fashion. I will tell you, I'll warn you, there's no, there's no real plot. It's this endless, uh, scourge of violence and anger and, uh, boredom mixed in with a little bit of action, but it's extremely profound. And if you read it in the way that it's intended to be read, it, it's, it's a really enjoyable read. I've, I've had a good time reading it. I haven't had a good time, um, figuring out how I'm going to review it, uh, because it's going to be a hard book to review, but, I've really enjoyed reading it and, uh, I'm going to read it again after I review it. And I think it's going to be a lot more enjoyable when I'm on the other side of the mic, not having to, uh, read it in terms of reviewing it, but just getting to read it out of enjoyment and, uh, and finding not necessarily enjoyment, but just getting to read it instead of having to read it and review it. I think it's going to be a lot more enjoyable. So get after it guys. Uh, thanks.